Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. I am your host, Adam Best, here as always on Wacky Wednesday with my guy, Sterling Holmes. The intro song this week is Cannonball by the Breeders, Blown to Hell, Crash, I'm the Last Splash. Damn, that's a good song. It's very difficult to have sort of a soft song that's not loud, but still goes hard. But that song definitely goes hard. You'll find out why we picked it later. It will be obvious. Speaking of cannonballs, let's dive into the deep end. Sterling, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, man. I can't wait. Chiefs beat the Raiders. Bill's game is going to be absolutely wild. The Broncos look horrendous. Chargers can't get out of their own way. I mean, come on. It's great being a Chiefs fan. This is just... I'm drinking a beer, by the way. I mean, it's 4.30 on a Wednesday. Not many things are better right now. You're paying tribute to our sponsor. Nothing wrong with that. No, it's just true, too. I mean, come on. It's, what, what else am I going to do? I didn't get have yourself, Get yourself over the hump, you know, on hump day with the beer. I mean, I mean the I, sure, I hit some golf balls today. I have the hosels. But besides that, besides that, <laughs> first Again. off, that jacket's awesome, dude. That jacket is killer. So if you guys haven't figured it out yet, what I wear every week on the show is kind of an Easter egg based on the previous opponent. And, you know, the first week it was kind of like a desert vibe, then an alley vibe. And then I think I did a Western thing for the Colts. And then last week, because we beat the shit out of the Bucks, I wore a parrot shirt. And for the Raiders, I was like, oh, what the hell do I do? And this is kind of Skull and Crossbones kind of has a, a Raiders vibe. And then this, this patch is the Illuminati. You know, a little bit of conspiracy going on this week. Like, why are so many penalties called on, on Chris Jones? What the fuck is going on? So I figured it was appropriate and uh, whipped it out. I, I got the 76ers on. I lived in Philly. I'm a Phillies guy now because the Royals are – they're three scoops of ass, man. The Royals are doing nothing. So I got to root for my my old city that I lived there for a couple of years. Got to root for the Phillies. So I'm rocking the 76ers going on right now. But before we talk some more Chiefs, big shout-out to KC Beer Co., the best sponsor, the best beer. If you've not been to KC to Beer Co., you're doing Kansas City wrong. I'm telling you right now, the brats, the potato salad, but of course, the beer. I'm drinking a Hefeweizen right here. Nice notes of banana. Uh, I mean, they make some of the best beer I have ever had in my entire life. I drank it before they sponsored us. But sponsored us. I will drink it after. I mean, I hope they sponsor us forever, but come on. We might not be doing this forever. I will still drink the beer. It is that good. Find the red cartons wherever you're at. Get you some KC beer. I promise you, you will enjoy it. Let's move into some awards. The week five awards. The first one is the Cannonball Award. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Can't beat Ron Burgundy, right? This award goes to Jarek McKinnon for unexpectedly showing out against the Raiders. On his first carry, I believe it was his first carry, McKinnon looked like he was shot out of a cannon. Just boom, 30 yards, was dragging defenders, going beast mode. I think it was second and 17, right? And from that, on, from that point on, he outsnapped CEH and Isaiah Pacheco combined 
38 to 33. He entered the game and, and got hot and the chiefs rode the hot hand. I think that might be the way to play it for the rest of the year. What do you think Sterling? Yeah, I just go with whoever has the hot hand. None of these guys of the three guys are bell cow backs. They all do something different. They bring something unique to the table. Jarek McKinnon, in my opinion, got the majority of the snaps because he is the best pass blocker. That's what he brings to the table. I'm not going to lie. That second and 17, when they handed the ball off, I go, what the bleep are you doing? No, 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 no. Yes, right? Yeah, exactly. I was livid. I was irked. I'm, I'm like, Andy, come on. At least try here. And then, of course, McKinnon ran very hard carrying dudes behind him. But but this is what I want to see for, for the rest of the season. They bring something different. Pacheco will have his time to shine, believe me. But it didn't make sense in this game when they were getting pressure on Mahomes. They needed someone to pick up the pass blocker to help out. McKinnon can do that. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is more of your, I always like to say, your Mario. What does he excel at? Maybe nothing. But he's good and well-rounded at almost everything. He is a good pass catcher, and they're starting to use him more in that role. Uh, He is a fine pass blocker, but McKinnon is the best pass blocker. Um, I also like Clyde late in games. You know why? He takes care of that ball. He holds it like a little baby. It's me holding a beer. It's not going anywhere. It's not getting spilled. He's not dropping the ball. So Clyde late game makes sense. So I like what they're doing. Ride the hot hand. There is no massively explosive running back. There's no Saquon Barkley. There's not, there's not the, the bell cow, but I like what they're doing in McKinnon in this game. He was the right guy. He was the right guy. He recorded 72 all purpose yards. And that doesn't even tell the, the whole story because CEH had nine carries for 15 yards. Didn't look so good. Looked kind of putrid. Pacheco got one carry immediately got stuffed. And there's just something about the way McKinnon runs that makes him a good fit for certain matchups. I'm not sure if it was his time playing for Kyle Shanahan in that kind of stretch stretch zone. You see Jeff Wilson out there right now. Those guys run hard. Those guys run through a brick wall. They, they hit the hole faster than any other set of running backs in the league. And I think that that asset, that skill set really fits on, on, you know, certain nights uh, and, I'm just a big fan of Jarek McKinnon. He, he wasn't a first or second round pick. He went to Georgia Southern, right? He's not a big back. He doesn't have the, the kind of draft capital or college pedigree that would make him guarantee to stuck around, stick around. And he had a bunch of knee injuries and he found a way to persevere and stick around the league. And who would have thought that here in his thirties, he'd be playing his best football for Kansas city when he couldn't quite get it all together in Minnesota and San Francisco when he was younger. Well, I do think part of why we don't see him a ton is because of the injuries. He's not a massive guy, right? The injury concerns. Yeah. The injury concerns are there when they signed Jarek McKinnon, uh, not this, uh, but the, the previous offseason, correct? I was mm-hmm. I was one of the first in line saying, y'all, it's about to be McKinnon season. If you look in the Discord sometimes, I will still get something when he does a big run that says, Sterling Holmes, McKinnon season. I was about a year late. He popped off in the playoffs, but this is what he brings. Sure, he might not be a 20-carry type of player, 
But if you can get, you know, five to ten good carries or good plays from him in a game, that's what you need from him. That's all you can ask. It keeps the defense on their toes. And again, pass blocking matters when you drop back and try and develop long, you know, deeper passes with Mahomes with the offensive line and the tackle specifically struggling. And he's got a different personality than Clyde. He brings a ton of fire. When he breaks off these runs and he's sitting there and he's going apeshit, the crowd feeds on that. And I just love it. Uh, So before we move on, take a gander at Jarek's athletic profile. It's a modern art masterpiece that should be hung in a museum. Look at that 100th percentile spark score. And it's finally paying dividends for a guy that just hung in there and worked hard. The bench press really surprises me. That's probably why he's so good in pass protection. He's only 5'9", but dude has to be just so strong with A, his lower body, but also his upper body. Being able to keep linebackers, defensive ends, just holding him long enough so Patrick has time, that bench press right there, I'm sure, is is helpful when it comes to stopping those rushers. And 210 is a little more stout than you'd think. I'm 210, I'm 6'3". So he's 5'9 and 210. He doesn't look it, but that's pretty stout, actually. What's up with you and Verderam being like 6'3 and yoked all of a sudden? Like, I'm 5'10, 170. I got to figure out. I got to figure out. Really, I would call myself yoked. <laughs> well, still- I, I'm not yoked. I'm not dad bod. I'm somewhere, somewhere in the margin between those two things. Like, am I the shortest guy on this show by far? Because you're 6'3. I think Verderam's 6'3. How's tall's Patrick Allen and and Patrick Connor? Come on, Patrick Allen's probably about six foot. Gosh, am I? The... All right, we're doing this. We're gonna do a arrowhead out of combine. I gotta at least prove that I'm faster than you guys. You're definitely <laughs> faster than me. I'm I'm multiple knee surgeries in at this point. So. Okay, Oklahoma drills, baby. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, all right, let's get into the next award, the... I'm always angry award. I'm always angry. This award goes to the loudest stadium on the planet. Arrowhead. Come on. Get, get, give all the fans who are at Arrowhead a round of applause. That was absurd. I mean, we know all about the uh, 142.2 decibel game. We know about Seattle trying to claim it. But this almost seemed louder than the 142.2 game. This was a continuous booing that lasted throughout halftime with words being understood through the television. We cannot repeat here. I guess we could. I mean, we don't have the FCC breathing down our neck, but I'm not going to for the kids. It was just an incredible performance from Arrowhead in an instance where I normally don't think the crowd has, you know, they, they have an impact, right? But this was one where referees were nervous to make calls. I have never seen that before. Arrowhead's a special place, but what was different about Monday night 
was the duration, how long the crowd sustained that maximum level of noise. A lot of times it's, it gets to be a 10 out of 10 a few times, say on a pivotal third down or whatnot, or a big play from the Chiefs offense. But it was at an 8, 9, or 10, just like that whole second half. And I kind of feel like what happens with the Chiefs, you just got these nice Midwestern folks, right? And they, they, they just uh, swallow all the strife and the stress of their work week. And then they go to Arrowhead on Sunday and they just find a healthy way to channel that, that rage. And you, you have 80,000 of them screaming at, I mean, maybe there's a few fans from other places, but just, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs, hitting the seats, you know, just going absolutely bonkers. Uh, and I've been going to that stadium for over 40 years. And I think that was top 10, probably top five most influential moments in Arrowhead Stadium history. Oh, I, I, I think it's top two, maybe. I mean, honestly, I, I know I don't want to get sucked into the moment right now uh, because it's it's so recent, but I have never seen anything like that, a crowd that outraged. I just have not for that duration. That's what makes it so impressive. The only other time, the John Elway, when he wouldn't snap the ball because he was too soft. He was Charmin Ultra. He was scared. That's the only other time. I mean, sure, the 142 too, but if you want to say top three, this this to me is top three. This was something where all other people, national media even, took to Twitter and they were like, yeah, this is unique. This is not something we have seen before. Other players were coming out being like, wow, Arrowhead is rocking. That looks like a fun pit place to play. Give the fans some credit. I will say other players, free agents, they, they recognize this. This is something when when they see this happen. Yeah, the go, culture. They go, I right? want to play in front of that crowd. I want to play for that crowd, not against it. And I was going to say that was the dumbest thing John Elway ever did, but he thought Tim Tebow could play quarterback, so it wasn't the dumbest thing that John Elway ever did. But I totally thank him for being one of the fathers of the craziness at Arrowhead because he just totally encouraged this back in the day and uh, the refereeing encouraged the crowd. They were kind of, I said this after the game, a defibrillator. Ooh, what a hard word to say. Um, That kind of shocked, shocked the uh, chiefs back to life and got the W. I was never worried. I don't know why I was never worried about that game. I, I swear to God. I, Just like the fans, I'm calling bullshit. Come on. No, you, no, you, no, no, no. You had to have at least a little no, bit. No, I of- wasn't. I'll tell you what. The last time the Raiders beat the Chiefs and they did that stupid victory lap in the bus around the stadium, I was shocked when the Chiefs actually lost. I never think they're going to lose to the I, – I, sometimes I think they're going to lose to the Come Broncos. Come on. When Devontae but, Adams had the ball that was called no, a catch I, in the field, you weren't nervous. You weren't just, I just you weren't expect- tightening up over there. Maybe I was tightening up a little bit in that moment, but I didn't think it was a catch. But I expect more times than not, more often than not, the Chargers to Charger and the Raiders to Raider. They are uncanny at finding ways to lose games they should have won. And we saw that again. Before we go forward, Chris Albright, 
right there. Thank you for the chat right here. Uh, first off, never realized that was a tool uh, logo, love tool. Uh, he says, I would have given that award to Patrick Mahomes or Big Red for both going nuts on the sidelines. Good point. Mahomes just yelling, I'm here, I'm here, was incredible. But I have never seen Andy Reid so incensed right there. That guy is a cool cucumber, and he was raging on the sideline. I'm like, someone give that man a cheeseburger to calm down so he doesn't get thrown out, get tossed like an MLB manager. Because Andy Reid was pissed off. He tried talking to the ref, and the ref was basically like, no, pal, we're not talking about this now. And that has made Andy more mad. That was some of the most entertaining Andy Reid I have ever seen. That was not progressive drawing mustaches on people, Andy Reid. That was fire-breathing dragon Andy Reid. And I think he kind of keeps that one stowed away in the toolbox most of the time. But it's good to know that he has it when he needs it. Because I think the team saw him do that and said, oh, shit. Because they don't see that side of him very much. He's so battle-tested that he, you know, he's cooler than the other side of the pillow most of the time. It's not Bobby Knight throwing chairs uh, multiple times. It's not him breaking the clipboard. It's Andy Reid. Let's get to the next award, the Well Well. Look who's decided to join award. Well, well, look who's decided to join. Someone's a sleepyhead this morning. You didn't watch Stranger Things, did you? I saw the first season. Oh, cool. First season. That's it. Not into it? No, it was fine. I enjoyed not it. I'm not a, a big TV guy. Uh, if I'm watching, I like, like I love Ozark. Love Ozark. Incredible yeah, I show. I love it too. I've only seen like two and a half seasons. And I love it. I just I can't get myself to be like, oh, yeah, let's sit down for 45 minutes to an hour and watch a show. It's tough. Well, all, all that golf, golf and binge watching are like the two most time consuming activities or hobbies on the planet. So you, you got to kind of pick pick which one you roll with there. Yeah, this award, though, goes to MVS Marquez Valdez Scantling. Hey, I said before the game, look out for MVS. I noticed in the Colts game, they tried to give him the ball. Him and Mahomes were not on the same page. Then against the Buccaneers, they connected two times on deeper balls, and he also had a drop where Travis Kelsey ran in front of him, not completely on him. The trend was, we're trying to make an effort to give MVS the ball more often. And this game, we saw it. MVS had himself his best game as a Chief. He did have one drop that was... A little little concerning because he had issues in Green Bay with drops. But as a whole, the MVS-Mahomes connection is really trending up right now. Yeah, it was a sleepy start. And you really wanted to see the MVS they talked about in training camp. We know he can lift the lid. He can stretch the field. We know he's a deep threat. But we heard all about his expanded route tree, that he was underutilized in Green Bay, that he could do more than he put on tape there. And that materialized on Monday night because most of the work he did was in the short to intermediate range. I think his, his uh, longest catch of the night was 23 yards. So it's nice to see that he has more weapons in his arsenal than just <clears throat> go routes, you know? And Juju, let's talk about Juju. Juju was not separating. It's like every time he even gets the ball, 
he's got a Siamese twin, right? He just cannot, he cannot generate space for himself. That's why they play him close to the line of scrimmage. I don't know if his knee is hurt or what, but I thought he kind of looked awful against the Raiders. And coming into the season, it was kind of a hot take I had that MBS would have more yards than Juju this season. But I still wonder if Juju is just too limited of a football player, an athlete at this point, after all the injuries and whatnot, and he might not even make it through the season. I hope, I really, 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 really do hope he makes it through the season and we see the old Juju. But we might need Marquez to step up and be that guy, be that kind of wide receiver. It's really, let's be honest, it's really wide receiver too because Travis Kelsey is essentially a wide receiver who can block sometimes if you need him to. Yeah, I think Juju had about one play where he had really good separation, where he just shook a guy. And that was on a short, it was about a five-yard out route, where I go, wow, great route. But that was the only one that really stood out from Juju. I think it's going to take time. He was never the most explosive player, even pre-injury, right? That's not what he, he necessarily was. But give it time. I'm fully believing in, in Juju Smith-Schuster. I think it's going to take a little bit of, of a connection with Mahomes where we saw the effort with MVS. We, we've seen Juju be more consistent, I would say, week to week. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out to McCall Hardman. Hardman's starting to get more separation. His route running is not the best, but even with a messed-up foot, the heel, he, he got some, some nice separation. He had the one play where he went out, and I'm sitting here going, oh, great, this is why I said you should have sat him a week. And the next freaking play is like an end-around to him. I'm like, okay, I guess he's faking I don't know, but give Hardman some credit because I thought he looked uh, pretty explosive in this game. Sure, he got thin. It he got physical in that play too. It was, it was quite the turnaround from thinking, oh, oh, great, McColl's out for the game now. To, oh, wow, I didn't know he had that in him. But he's always been tough. That's not the problem. I don't think his toughness is the problem. But it is exciting to see MVS start to break out. I, I get kind of tired of. With Tyreek here, it was always who was going to step up. The the carousel, the merry-go-round of Pringle, Robinson, and McColl. I would just like to see the the pecking order stabilize a little bit. So Mahomes knows during crunch time when things get rough who he can go to. Because in that loss to Cincinnati, when they took away Travis and Tyreek, there was just no one else he could trust. And it completely broke the offense. So I just would like to see that established. Let's get into the next award. The you can't make a tomlet without breaking some Greggs. You can't make a tomlet without breaking some Greggs. Yeah, I've been dying to use that one. Uh, Big fan of Succession. Great show, great writing. Uh, Not not really a kid-friendly show, but... Amazing nonetheless. This one goes to Steve Spagnolo. You are the winner here. Ah, oh, God, he was killing me. He was killing me against the Raiders. He gets so stubborn. He loathes bracketing these elite wide receivers. He just sometimes refuses to double the Jamar Chases, the, the Devontae Adams, even Mike Williams. 
He just, he has to see his young corners and safeties get beat. It seems numerous times before he makes an adjustment. And it's not hard to kind of forecast, even for us fans who know the sport pretty well and know these other teams, like the adjustments the Chiefs need to make going into the game. I kind of wonder why he does this. I think the tactic was especially egregious when you had rookie Jalen Watson and I think pretty average talent, Rashad Finn. He's a good depth piece, but he, I think he's, we've talked about this before, CB4, not CB3 going up against maybe the top wide receiver in football. What's interesting to me is he does this the first half of almost every game, at least this season. Last year against Cincinnati, he never switched that. He was like, nope, we're going one-on-one with Jamar. does not matter. This year, it seems like he's giving the cornerbacks the opportunity in the first half to say, hey, can you get the best of this guy? They, they tried it against Tampa Bay with Mike Evans. What happened in the second half? They doubled him. Mike Williams with the Chargers. Yep. First, first half, we're going one-on-one. Second half, what happened? They doubled him. Even in this game against Devontae Adams, they tried to double him in the second half. They put Brian Cook over the top. What happened? Brian Cook got cooked. Yep. Brian Cook and me, that, that, that's on him. Spags actually tried. He drew up a great game plan. He should have had two guys. Should have been front and back, but it didn't happen. That's not on Spags. That's on Cook. I will also say the last play of the game, drawing up all that pressure. I, I, I mean... I've been ripping on Spag's first halves of a lot of games, but I want to give him some credit in the second halves. It feels like he's adjusted more than he has in the past. Now, why does he not do this in the first half for the entire game when we all know Devontae Adams is going to beat, you know, Rashad Fenton? Does he have this much faith in his cornerbacks? Does he just want to see if they're not on the same page? Because they're not on the same page for a game. That's a, that, that's huge, but he does or he at least so far has shown the ability to adjust second half, which to me is something we've not seen from him in the past. You just wish those halftime adjustments would be pregame adjustments. And part of me has to wonder, is this a trial by fire thing? Is he looking at this saying long season, 17 games, these corners and safeties I have aren't very battle tested. It's a young relatively inexperienced group of guys. And so let's, let's have them learn under duress. Let's, let's see what they can do. Let's figure this out as we go. And if it really starts to cost us in a game, I will, I will send help, but I'd rather these guys learn. And so far there's been more burning than learning, but I wonder if that's kind of his strategy because in the playoffs, we're going to need these kids to grow up. And I don't think they can grow up unless you take the training wheels off. But if you lose games because, I don't know, it, it's, it's hard to point fingers at him, but we saw this coming and Devontae Adams is someone that I think every team in the league should automatically double. Same with Chase. I don't know about Evans because they've got Godwin, who's equally good. Sometimes you got to – when you're in one of those pick your poison situations, it's a little tougher, but Devonte Adams was, especially when Darren Waller went out, I mean, what were they worried about? Hunter Renfro? He's a nice little slot guy, but he's not going to beat you. Yeah. Uh, it'll help when McDuffie comes back. We've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. It'll push Rashad Fenton into the four. Well, hopefully 
pushes Rashad to CB4, and you keep Jalen Watson as CB3. McDuffie would alleviate some of the the issues, and maybe you can go one-on-one with McDuffie, but that's still a lot to ask of a rookie cornerback, even as good as McDuffie is. Again, if he's not getting targeted, though, when McDuffie's draped all over a guy, good luck making the catch. Ball ain't coming your way. It's McDuffie nope. Island. Uh <laughs> Let's get into the hater. By the, the way, before we do, just want to let the audience know that I think he practiced today. That was the last I heard from Nate Taylor that both him and Harrison Butker were uh, practicing today. So getting those two guys back, I feel if those guys had been healthy all season, they're probably undefeated. Yeah. So just wanted to pass along that good news. Let's get into the hater of the week. Oh, boy. Uh, This is a good one. None other than Carl Sheffers, who joins Lynn Elliott on Kansas City's football blackball list. Who else is on that list? I'm trying to think. Who else is on that list? Oh, man. I I feel like Larry Johnson was on it for like a couple years, but now he's back because it's, it's blown over. Uh, Tony Gonzalez is on a few fans blackball list, which I think is just asinine because he's so freaking talented. That's terrible. Um, who else? What about Elvis Gerbach? Elvis Gerbach. Ooh, who was the, uh, the ride or die guy, but he was a horrible tackle. Uh, ended up going to Dallas. Uh, Cam Irving. Cam Irving, I feel like is some people's list, but I think that's a little unfair because he was thrust into that role. Yeah, he's a swing tackle who had to start. I think part of that is he stepped on Mahomes' ankle, and that's like the cardinal sin of being a Chiefs player is getting getting the uh, the golden boy hurt. I just can't get over. Not only that did Jeffers call that horrendous penalty against Chris Jones, not only was that the first – roughing the passer I've ever seen where the passer didn't even have the ball, but he doubled down on it post game, like dog own up. We would have so much more respect for you. If you're just sitting here going, yeah, I blew it. This is what I saw. I saw this. This is what I thought happened. It didn't happen. I was in the wrong. I apologize. And I will try and be better. That didn't happen. He's like, no, but this is what I saw. And I'm right. It's like, dude, Kick rocks, pound sand, pal. Yeah, that's just the NFL style. They When they miss a call, it's almost always gaslighting. And I agree. This is one of the worst calls I've ever seen. Maybe the only call that I've seen that was worse, probably because of the stakes, was that non-pass interference call against that cost the Saints from going to the Super Bowl against the Rams. That was pretty brutal, but for this Jerry team to be in forward progress, come on. That's pretty bad. And also Chris Jones had another one in the 2019 AFC championship where he, he, I mean, he whiffed. I don't even think he actually touched Tom Brady's helmet and they called roughing the passer. There was seven minutes or something like that left in the fourth quarter. These calls always seem to come at like, Third, you know, when we get a third down stop, something like that, just the worst timing. Not a first and 10 in the first quarter. No, (laughs) no. 
But Cheffers also was the the referee, the head ref for the Chiefs Super Bowl LV loss. And that was a game where there were more penalties than ever. And actually, there was not gaslighting after that. The opinion was that the way that game was officiated was not consistent with the way things were called in the regular season. And this is unbelievable. He also officiated the Chiefs 2017 wildcard loss to the Steelers, after which Travis Kelsey said this. It's ignorance. The ref number 51 shouldn't even be able to wear a zebra jersey ever again. He shouldn't even be able to wear a footlocker. <laughs> shouldn't be able to work at footlocker. Quite the burn. Uh, Gary McKenzie said this on Twitter. In Carl Cheffer's last six games as a referee in Chiefs games, the Chiefs are one in five against the spread. The probability of that occurring is 9%. So the NFL needs to never let this guy ref another Chiefs game as long as he lives. I don't want any Chiefs fans to to go out and like put a voodoo curse on this guy or, or worse, but I don't ever want to see him in Arrowhead stadium or any other stadium. The chiefs are playing in for as long as I live. I don't think he wants to go to Arrowhead stadium for the rest of his life. That guy does not want to be there. I also feel bad for some of the other refs who didn't make any of these calls. Cause they're sitting here going, God, are you kidding me? I'm about to get just – I might get beat up in the parking lot because Sheffers out here has a vendetta against Kansas City. It was just – it was wild. And the, the calls on both sides were just horrendous. The second half, the Chiefs got a lot of calls go their way. I mean, come on. When was the last time you've seen a holding on the defense on a, on a field goal? I, they it only had bizarre. To- it was bizarre, but it, it totally was a makeup call. Sure. They were trying to – I think they were, that was the fire extinguisher trying to put out the flames. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so that's what it comes down to is Jeffers does not want to be in Kansas City ever again. His voice was cracking. He sounded like a 12 year old going through puberty. I mean, there is no flag for block in the back. It's like, dog, come on, say with the chest. But that guy knew if he made that call in that situation, there was about to be a riot. <laughs> Speaking of voice cracking, Arrowhead will do that to you, apparently. Derek Johnson, the all-time leading tackler in the history of the Chiefs, with a touchdown for Kansas City! Do you remember that? I don't remember the voice crack like that. I remember that, but I don't remember the voice crack like that. That is insane. Yeah, I miss DJ, but hopefully we have a new DJ in Nick Bolton. New Which DJ, line? right? Looks pretty close. I mean, I, I'm not going to crown him Derek Johnson yet, but as far as what we've seen so far from Nick Bolton, holy bleep, that guy looks incredible, and the Mizzou alum in me is even more thrilled about it. Uh, let's get into Hot Take Kingdom. All right, you guys have been listening. You know what we do here. Uh, Adam is going to give us his hot take. Either we're with him or we're against him. Adam, what's your hot take today? My hot take is that the Chiefs must, must make an in-season trade for pass rushing help. Frank Clark, 
actually looked kind of good against the Raiders in the first half. It, it's rare. I was surprised, but hats off to him. The guy was bringing it, but lo and behold, he gets sick and he's unavailable. And the best ability is availability. And Frank Clark is either unavailable, not bringing it. The times when he's bringing it per season, far and few between, but uh, we can't count on him. That's the bottom line. I do not think we can count on him. Hopefully he'll give us something, but I can't wait to move on. I know a lot of Chiefs fans in Chiefs Kingdom share this sentiment. They want to move on and put this chapter behind us. But with this season, for this season, we're stuck with him, right? George Karloftis, I think one day he's going to be a very good player. He's a pretty good player right now. He's, he's a valuable rotational piece. He's doing some good things. Is he generating the heat, the kind of heat we need him to, or he eventually will? I don't really think so. And it might be unrealistic to expect this guy to get eight sacks as a rookie. That's pretty unheard of. And asking him to do that, it's just a bit much. Turk Wharton's ACL injury is, is quite a blow. He was really rushing the passer extremely well for a defensive tackle. I was pleased with his progress. And now I would say the second best interior pass rusher on the roster by far is, is not going to be available for the rest of the season. Mike Dana has been hurt. And who knows how effective he'll be when he's back. That's kind of hurt them, I think, because he plays quite a bit of reps. He plays hard. Is he uh, Michael Strahan? No, but he's a guy that brings it every, every down. He's dependable. And right now he's not available. Carlos Dunlap, again, a solid rotational piece. He, he might, let's be honest, he might be a little past his prime. He's getting long in the tooth. He's not playing a ton of snaps. He's giving some, his contributions are, you know, making some impact. I haven't been blown away. And then once again, there is an over-reliance on Chris Jones. He is one of the best defensive players in the league. We established this. Well, I tried to establish this in a past hot take kingdom. Sterling didn't come on board. I said he was a top seven defender in the league. Uh, we we got close. We got. I close said top to, ten. I said top. You said 10. top ten. We were very close to agreeing. In the end, we didn't agree. Maybe you agree now with the season Chris is having. I think he's turned it up a notch, but he's one guy. And when opposing offenses are building their game plan to take Chris Jones out of the equation, it is hard for him to be as disruptive as he can be. And it's a testament to him that he even is as disruptive as he is. And I would say that some of the pressure numbers that the Chiefs have seen so far are inflated. I know early in the season we were all jazzed about how much heat they were bringing, but let's be honest, the Cardinals, Colts, and Raiders have some of the worst offensive lines in the entire league. The Colts can't block anybody. The Cardinals can't block anybody. The Raiders' offensive line isn't good. And then last season's trade for Melvin Ingram. I know a lot of Chiefs fans wanted to bring him back. He looks really good in Miami. He, I think he was actually defensive player of the week one week. And we saw there's more trading in the NFL now, right? And we're seeing the impact. Even a small trade can have 
on one side of the ball. So I think they should consider that again this year. And there are some interesting players out there. The first one is Brian Burns. He's the premier pass rusher. He plays for the Carolina Panthers. He's a young guy. He might be available. They just fired their coach, Matt Rule. And word on the street is they are having a fire sale. The issue here is he won't be cheap. And Clark Hunt, because Kansas City is hosting the draft, I remember him saying that they don't want to trade their first-round pick because of that. So he might be too expensive for the Chiefs in terms of draft capital. But the budget option, and I think there are probably more of these out there. you got to look at the teams that are not going to make a playoff push. But the Bears' Robert Quinn would be a discount option and sort of a one-season Band-Aid maybe, similar to the way Melvin Ingram is. Overall, I'm just really worried about this group before that infamous call that, that Cheffers made and that strip sack that Jones should have gotten. I was looking at Mahomes' pants, right? His white pants were dirty as hell. And then I looked up at Derek Carr and his white uniform was pristine. I know that's sort of anecdotal, but it just feels to me that teams are having their way we're giving up a lot of passing touchdowns. And I think we have a young secondary who we can't count on to just lock it down back there and create coverage sacks. So that's my case for the Chiefs making a trade for a defensive lineman again. They have a ton of draft picks. They can get creative and not really feel it because they have, what, 12 draft picks? They have. I don't think they can use all those draft picks. There's not 12 rookies next year that are going to make the roster. So Sterling, I've made my case. Where do you land? I'm close, man. I I, I think must is very strong. I, I would again hot taking. I know, I know. I, I it would enthuse me if they did, but only if it's a legitimate game changer. Uh, the only question I have is someone like like Brian Burns from Carolina. One, I don't think Carolina. It does not behoove them to trade him. You don't, you don't draft guys like him to trade them. Uh, he has one year left, I believe, on his rookie contract this year. Then he's up for a – going to get a substantial contract after this year. Do the They Chiefs, don't have – they hardly have any draft picks, though. That's one thing sure, to remember about that. Sure. But, but again, they're going to have to – they might be 1-1. If they, if they, they're, gonna, they're horrible. I mean, the Panthers are horrible. If they can get Brian Burns, I would love it. But then you have to know – that's going to be a long-term extension. You're, you're not going to give up. I know it's always the sunk cost, but with someone like Brian Burns, that's someone you want to have a deal in place before you give up that first rounder. Cause that's what it's going to cost to get Brian Burns. He's it's Frank Clark, Clark, like the Frank Clark situation. Very 100% similar. But my, my concern is you go out and, and get a another veteran rotational piece who you can't rely on. I don't know if it's spag system or what, um, but it feels like they just can't get, or they can't come down with the sack. They get pressure, which is interesting because last year they had a lot of pressure numbers, even as bad as the D line was, the pressure numbers weren't horrible. They just could not bring the quarterback down. And we've even seen that to an extent this year, they can get pressure. They just can't get the quarterback down. Tom Brady looked like he was, you know, lubed up in avocado oil. I mean, it was absurd. Uh, I keep seeing in Dominican Sue. I feel like if that was going to happen, it would have already happened. 
we've not heard any sort of connection with Ndamukong Su in Kansas City. So I do feel like we would have at least heard something, whether it was the offseason or earlier on, when they brought guys in like Danny Shelton and, and Taylor Stallworth. I feel like we probably would have heard Ndamukong Su's name thrown around if there was any sort of co- uh, coalition or correlation, I should say. To me, I think offensive tackle is the biggest issue. If you bring in an elite pass rusher now, that's going to take away your ability to, to get some good tackles. I think the main concern for me is keeping Patrick upright. Yes, Chris, Joan need, Chris Jones needs help, and that's what you've done with George Karloftis. I would not be shocked if next year's first-round draft pick or second-round draft pick is going to be another defensive end. But you also need some help on the offensive line. Uh, a first-round left tackle at 30 to 31, 32, probably not going to be a day-one starter. It's probably not going to be the cream of the crop. So if you're going to spend money, I prefer it at tackle and not at defensive end or defensive tackle. The issue with edge is the bus rate is pretty crazy. And I think, and also they take a while to develop. And Veach has not shown, he doesn't have the best track record when it comes to drafting defensive linemen. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. No, that's been one of my, frankly, only knocks against Brett Veach, right? It's been, he can develop players, draft guys that fit the system everywhere, except for edge. He's done a decent job at wide receiver. That could be the other position you can make a case for, but edge has been the big one. Yeah. And uh, maybe, maybe just seeing JPP. uh, I was going to mention him, man. You read my mind. We, we missed the boat, I think. Yeah, maybe JPP. I, again, we're we're gonna see Taylor Stallworth. He he got JPP signed with the Ravens. I saw that Chris Albright made a uh, made a comment there. Yeah, he he signed with the Ravens. I was watching a little bit of that game on Sunday and saw that he had two batted passes in a row. Uh, phenomenal that he's so good with losing his fingers and everything. But that could have been a good signing. Apparently, the Chiefs you know, felt good about what they had at that time. Uh, maybe they don't, maybe they're just waiting for the deadline. Mm-hmm. That allows you to, to take stock of what you have, but also teams get a little bit more desperate when they know time is about to elapse and it's either shit or get off the pot. And if they don't make a deal, they're going to get nothing. That's what happened with Melvin Ingram. What do we send? Like a six round pick? It was. And yeah. this, the Steelers wanted much more than that when conversations started. So it's a little bit of a game of chicken. I think that may be what Veach does. I would just feel better with more guys out there. Oh, I'd more feel better too. I, I'm not interested in seeing if Josh McCanto or Malik Herring can develop this year. That's going to be very difficult. But again, I just think there's got to be some nuance here. We went into the season saying this is a reloading year. I get it. The Chiefs are they're sitting at four and one. Uh, if this is a reloading year with this youth movement, I mean, ho- holy bleep. The AFC West should just be completely concerned because they went all in and they uh, still can't take down the king. But again, don't don't go o- overboard for one season when you know as long as you have Patrick, this is going to be a 10, 15 year, hopefully – you know, long process. You, you don't just want to go all in for one season when you can have an extended period of success. And I think 
trading a lot of assets away, especially high assets, when you can have a controllable tackle, a controllable edge piece over the next few seasons for a Brian Burns, an impact edge player. Does that make a lot of sense? Colin Saunders has looked very good in limited action this season. I think Colin Saunders will be the next man up. Taylor Stallworth is He's fine. A fire hydrant, you know, yeah. just stout. Yeah, I just, I just don't necessarily want to throw all of the chips in in what is a reloading year when you, you have much more time. It, it's a long window, and maybe I'm being not aggressive what? enough, but I do want to take some at least some sort of bigger picture view here. Let me make the counterpoint there. Let's just say that the Chiefs win on Sunday at home against Buffalo. I can't believe they are not home favorites, but that's a discussion for another time. And then they're in the driver's seat in the AFC. And reloading, retooling, reconfiguring, whatever you want to call it, we don't know what the future holds. Heaven forbid something could happen to Patrick Mahomes. Sure, It looks know. like... He looks like he's on the same track as the greats, as Brady, as Rodgers. We're going to have him for another dozen years, but you never know. And if we are in position to win a Super Bowl this year and we have more draft capital than we can use next year, it would behoove us to get aggressive. Not, not, not like, yeah, but, but the draft capital, yeah, but I get the draft capital you're not giving away. It's not a fifth rounder. Sure, the fifth rounder is fine, but but no one's taking a fifth rounder for Brian Burns or an impact player. Washington, no, I, I don't think we're getting too. Brian Burns, by the I way. I mean, Montez but, Sweat. I mean, there, there, there's multiple players on, on Washington that could be up for grabs, and they have a very good defensive line. But allegedly, just, talent's there. Yeah, talent's yeah. there. My point is, I just don't want to get short-sighted here. I just don't. I'm with you. They're not going to be able to use 12 or 11 draft picks on the roster next year. That's not happening. But you want to keep the first and second rounders if possible. That's where you get the long, controllable, potentially high-end talent that you can surround Mahomes with. And again, tackle's most important to me right now. Keeping the half-billion-dollar asset upright safe that's what matters i'd actually like to see us bring in a receiver but not if it's going to slow down the development of sky Moore. i don't think that's going to happen though i think it will either be a tackle or a defensive lineman in the past they've brought in defensive linemen they've brought in t sizzle terrell suggs and melvin ingram so it's i think it could happen the question (laughs) is are you coming are you coming into my kingdom? Are you coming into hot kingdom or are you resisting the urge once again? No, I, uh, I'm, I'm barely on the outside, but again, uh, it's a cool, it, it, it's, it's must. If it was the chiefs, uh, I would have to see what the deal is. I I'm borderline depending on the deal. Can I be like halfway in halfway out? Cause that fence, it's no, uncomfortable. No, I'm, this gonna, is I'm just going to keep sitting on no it. No wishy-washiness. You can't be on the fence. This is hot take kingdom. We go bold or we go home. You're out. You're banished. I'm out. I'm I'm Tabasco. I'm mild. I'm not super tasty. Super hot right now. It's tasty, but not super hot. Uh, A couple of comments I want to get to that make me laugh very hard. Uh, Clint McKenzie says, lots of behooving today. I like it. Uh, And then Flapjack City, after we're talking about fifth round uh, draft picks, it says, my wife was a fifth round draft pick. 
<laughs> Come on. I know oh, it's man, a joke. She deserves better than that. She's I, she's a, at least you know, a second or a third. Come on. Flapjack's hilarious. That guy, he should be a comedian, and it also hits on all of his, his bets, apparently. He nailed a very large bet that Mahomes would throw for four touchdowns against the Raiders, and he did. So, Flapjack, uh, whatever he's doing is working for him. An whatever integral part of this community who's very generous in his support. Thank you again. Uh, let's get into the analytics addict. All right, what do you got for us? What we have is we've been hard on McCole Hardman, right? I think every season, the Chiefs, the Chiefs fans kind of have – a few players who draw the ire of the base. And this year, I think it's McCole Hardman and Orlando uh, Brown Jr. And that usually happens because of a combination of money, draft capital, but credit where credit is due, he put up 80 yards total. The issue is that he's only exceeded that number four times in four years. So he's very inconsistent, and I think that's because it is hard to get. He's great once you get the ball in his hands. Very reminiscent of Dante Hall. If you can get the ball to him, he's a powder keg, but getting the ball to him is is a riddle. It's very hard to do. He doesn't have an understanding of the position. So I just think this is what we're going to get from him forever until – Probably we don't re-sign him in this offseason, but this is just what he does. You're about to give up on him. He had, I think, the two weeks before, a combined six yards. And you're like, well, I guess it's sky more time. We're gonna we're gonna bench McCall Hardman and and move on. It's over. And then he comes out and has his best game in almost a year. Yeah, he's one of those guys who you mentioned just just inconsistent. He's not a great route runner. I will say he's been open a decent amount this season, but him and Patrick are just not on the same page. And I don't know why, but it's one of those situations where if you're consistently off at the quarterback, even if you're open, that's great. But if you, you're not coming down with the ball, it doesn't do you any good. He's been fine. I think he's been hated on a little more than – then he should be because of the second round draft pick and who came after him. But if you look at some of the other guys who were drafted immediately after him, you're sitting here going, all right, McCole Harbin was not the worst draft pick the Chiefs could have had. Andy Isabella isn't even on the Cardinals roster anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so and, and the Eagles drafted, I believe, someone as well. And I think it might have been someone for the Colts. Uh, doesn't matter. Point is. Yeah, Paris Campbell. Paris, Paris Campbell. Campbell is doing absolutely nothing. So the, for, the, the, for the Colts. So, so, so the point is, it could have been worse. It could have been better. Could have but, been A.J. Brown, you know, if they traded up a little higher. But but McCall Hardman is who he is. I don't see him all of a sudden turning into an extremely uh, talented route runner, but he still is a useful player. The Chiefs aren't counting on him to be the, the number one wide receiver. He's basically a number three, right? And and not only that, they, they only use him typically. Sure, if you put Scott, yeah, but they, but they basically only use him on a design play to him. He's not going to be great when it's like, hey, we need you to run a slant. Go out there and do it. That's not his game. He has an, some ability to, with with the ball in his hands to make plays, 
That's what the Chiefs have done, but the game script has to allow that. It has to be a design play for Harden for him to really make an impact. You mean they shouldn't go to him third and three late in the fourth quarter when the game hangs in the balance? You're telling me that they shouldn't do that? I I will say it wasn't the worst play call in the world. I didn't like it, but the play was actually there, and Mahomes just missed him. Mahomes threw it up the field, and I don't know if it was Harden was off. Or if Mahomes was off. And again, this is one of these situations where I say they're, they're, they're always, yeah, miscommunication. They're always off, not on the same page. But if he didn't throw it up the field and threw it to him, that was a fairly easy first down. It just, again, comes down to the situation where he has separation. They're just not on the same page. I want to hit on the interior offensive line real quick. Uh, excuse me, the offensive line. The interior offensive line is dominant. But last week, our tackles struggled. Andrew Wiley gave up uh, four pressures and two sacks against former college teammate Max Crosby. And then you had Orlando Brown Jr. allowing some pressures to Chandler Jones. So far this season, he has only one above-average PFF pass-blocking grade. And his run blocking is fantastic. You see him mauling out there. On that big McKinnon run, he pancakes somebody. He's a phenomenal run blocker, but the the pass blocking, that's why partially, along with the spark he provided, Jarek McKinnon was out there because our tackles were going to get Mahomes killed. Now, Wiley, I think, adjusted, and, and to his credit, Brown adjusted and settled in a little bit, but I'm really worried – And this is a nice segue to our next segment. Buffalo ranks fourth in pressure in pressure rate, despite blitzing less than any other team in the league. And the chiefs just are not going to win this game. If Brown and Wiley don't hold up, if they allow the bills to get pressure consistently with four Mahomes is going to have nowhere to go. So that is one of the keys to the game. Let's move on to the next segment, which we're calling the October Super Bowl Part Two, the maybe the biggest, most hyped regular season game, Sterling. Would you say in a decade uh, that I can remember? I mean, this is just—it's going to be a, a great game. It's one of those situations where the Bills are pissed off after 13 seconds. Uh, the Chiefs are pissed off because this is the first time in the Mahomes era he's, you know, not favored at home. I am. Thoroughly thrilled. I don't think what necessarily happens in this game is going to be a great indicator of what happens in the playoffs. I think every game it wasn't is, last year. Is se- exactly. Last year it wasn't. Every game is separate, but it's still fun to dream. If the Chiefs win, of course, Chiefs are going to be feeling good. If the Bills win, the Chiefs just take a step back and say, you know what? This happened last year. If you're Kansas City, you kind of have the best of both worlds. If you're the Bills, you must feel like you need to win. The Bills, I feel like, have more at stake in this situation. They're they all in. The 13 seconds. They're all in. Vaughn Miller, you know, that that signing proved that they're all in. Everyone's kept calling them the, you know, the, the next best great thing. And again, for good reason. They've been outstanding. But when they've seemingly been crowned as the already Super Bowl favorites, they're already Super Bowl champions, they better live up to that hype or else it's going to be a very disappointing season. And... This is very much because of the talent of these two quarterbacks, but also the media. This is the new Brady 
Manning. And I actually appreciate Josh Allen because I think every story, every great story needs a great antagonist. And without someone like Josh Allen challenging him, I don't think Patrick Mahomes continues to reach new heights. I think that push, knowing that there's someone who's hellbent on being better than him and, and just working every day to be the best, and that that person is also a unicorn. You know, maybe his horn's not as long, maybe his colors aren't as bright, but he is also very much a unicorn who wants to be who Patrick Mahomes currently is. So I think that that helps Patrick, but the chiefs have to have to be on their game. And I actually want to turn the page back to October of 2020, two years ago, it was a rainy game. Uh, I'll put that disclaimer out there before we, we talk about this, but the recipe for beating Buffalo was controlling the, the, the clock and running down their throats. And it's interesting that that's usually a tactic that's deployed against the Chiefs. But in this particular matchup where the Chiefs have an offensive line advantage and Buffalo cannot run the ball, and the Chiefs can. The Chiefs are just a much better running team. I think Buffalo has, has a better defense by a considerable margin and probably a better passing offense, even though I think Mahomes is – has elevated his receivers. He doesn't have Diggs. He doesn't have Gabe Davis, but he has Kelsey. He's elevated that talent. But I think the real advantage for the chiefs is that running game. Do you think they'll come out Sterling and, and establish the run again and try to just grind out an ugly win? I, I don't, I don't Uh, as much as it sometimes works. And I wouldn't hate seeing it. We haven't seen it consistently from Andy Reid especially when I would say Buffalo's weak point is their secondary based on injuries, right? I think when they're fully healthy, their secondary is absurd. Best safety tandem in the NFL. Tredavious White is outstanding. But with the injuries, I think that's where the Chiefs can actually take advantage of the Buffalo Bills defense. Now, their pass rush is incredible. And so maybe you run a little bit here and there, at least uh, keep them honest. Mm -hmm. But – I do think the ability to take advantage of the injuries in the Buffalo Bills secondary is really where I personally would see Andy Reid and the Chiefs trying to go after. A note on their secondary, and maybe this just, just isn't their secondary. It's They've got Leslie Frazier, who's a great DC. They've got a lot of talent all over the field. But no team has allowed fewer passing TDs than the Bills, who have only allowed three. That's, that stat is from our own Scott Loring. The Chiefs, meanwhile, have allowed 12 passing TDs. Personally, and and normally, 99 times out of 100, I want the Chiefs to air it out. But in this game, I really don't want to see a shootout because I think that favors the Bills, especially with where our current receiving core is. They've got a lot of the chemistry just isn't there yet. And on the opposing side, I think the chemistry is there. So... I think that we've got to exploit the matchups that work for us. The other big matchup that I want to point out that the Chiefs can exploit is Chris Jones. Of course, Chris Jones can beat almost any any guard on the planet, but Roger Saffold is sort of broken down and a shadow of his former self. And I just think we have to have – it's unfair to ask 
him to carry the defense, but that's what you get the big bucks for. We have to have Chris Jones sort of take over this game at some point. Yeah. No, Chris Jones is going to have to be the absolute game wrecker that he is in this game. Uh, they're probably going to have to put a spy on Josh Allen, but they can't tackle like they did in the first half against the Raiders. If they tackle like that, that's going to be a disaster for Kansas City. Nick Bolton was about the only guy in the first half making plays. Juan Thornhill. Oof. Yeah, Juan Thornhill has to play better. Juan Thornhill cannot just dive at ankles like he did against the Raiders. That was a bad game for Juan. I think he'll bounce back. He's been solid this season. There's no reason to expect that he's making business decisions. There's no reason to expect there was anything but a blip in what this season has Justin been. Justin Reed isn't home. making business decisions, I'll tell you that. He got trucked and, and held on. Great play by Justin Reed. I know Josh Jacobs got an extra two yards, but that could have been about 12. I mean, he stood in. Joe, Jacobs lowered his shoulder. Reed knew the hit was coming, and he still stood strong. I give Justin Reed a lot of credit. You love to see it. You love to see it. Let's move on to Spot the Fake, one of our favorite segments. I think we always get a laugh out of this. Hopefully, we haven't discussed this, but hopefully you're not familiar with Star Trek. Nope. (laughs) Awesome. So this work. Which of the following are not Star Trek villains? Klingons? The Borg? Cylons? Or the Dominion? So full transparency, I'm blocking the chat right now so I can't see if anyone posts in it. So that way I, I don't cheat you're an honorable man sterling uh, honor we know, we know this about you yeah klingons i know that's like the famous one klingons is the the famous star trek thing the the borg is what you said the second one the borg cylons and the dominion the dominion is the most normal name so it has to be that i'm going with the most normal name and that's the dominion no the dominion sounds like a shopping center but it actually, it actually was um, one of the TV series. The Dominion was a group of villains. Cylons is the answer. Cylons are not from Star Trek. They are from Battlestar Galactica. So I threw a little, you know, trickery in there. And Dude, that wouldn't help me their way. I've never heard of Cylons. I threw Klingons in there because I was like, I'll narrow it down to three. Yeah, I know that one. That, that's Unless a, that's a he's just been under a rock, he has heard of Klingons. Dude, I am so bad at this game. It's yeah, the- Sean, Nerd City. I'm with you, dude. I'm with you, Sean. Yeah, I have no idea. Sean, I proudly own it. I, I'm a nerd. I have never denied that. Hopefully you guys are having some fun with this. Let's get to our parting shot. This was originally pointed out by Patrick Allen. But Marty Schottenheimer's 2010 summary of the Raiders is perfect, simply perfect. And as someone who coached for multiple seasons with both the Chiefs and the Chargers, uh, RIP, but who is more qualified to talk about the Raiders franchise than Marty Schottenheimer? Here's the quote. As a football team, there was a philosophy relative to how you beat the Raiders. That was, you went into the game with the understanding that the first half would come and go and you would want to stay in the contest. But if you stayed the course into the fourth quarter, you would find a way to somehow beat them. 
or they'd beat themselves and you'd wind up, you'd end up the winner anyway. That's the way they functioned in my view. And that's the way they still function. The Raiders are masters of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, whether it's blowing a 20 point lead to the Cardinals early in the season or two receivers, you know, running into each other and falling down like a clown car on the final offensive play. The silver and black loves nothing more than a good choke job. Sterling, you've got to enjoy it. I know I enjoy it. I almost feel sorry for them sometimes. Oh, man, you can't feel sorry for them. They're the Raiders. Come on. It's, it's enjoyable watching them collapse. Derek Carr is one of the few guys I'll actually feel bad for. And even then, I'm still like, you know what? It's the Raiders. I can't be sad. <laughs> they have just been so inept for so long. I have still have a taste in my mouth from the Broncos being Super Bowl champions. I know what it feels like for the Chargers to to beat us. The Raiders, they're just kind of pathetic. I know Raiders fans are gonna are gonna come for me, but they just are not a threat. I don't think I look at them and I'm like, this roster I talk about it, I talk about it in the newsletter. If you subscribe at any level, you will get that weekly newsletter. So please consider it. I think this one is 3,500 words. So I put a lot of work into it. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. But I talk about this. And if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the Raiders and have a little fun at their expense, check that out. But until next hump day, I'm Adam Best. This is Sterling Holmes. Go Chiefs. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.